Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're into our second week in a series in Deuteronomy, uh, just uh, in the pursuit of life. And we're up to chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. I'm going to do our Bible reading now, picking it up at verse 32, if you've got a Bible or it's on the screen behind. Deuteronomy chapter 4, reading from verse 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on earth. Ask from, one end of the, ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as there ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard of the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another by testings, by signs and by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give, you, to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here in this series again. My name is Ben, if we've never met before. Um, and just a quick one before we dig into this, if you are thinking about coming along to Alpha this week or if you're thinking about inviting someone and maybe there's a chance that they would come, we would love to hear from you today. There's a team of us. I'm a part of that team. But please, if you can, let us know or jump on that flyer. There's an RSVP there. Or you can go through the website if you don't have a flyer as well uh, at our website, southsidepc.org. Cool, with all of that said, we're going to dig into Deuteronomy chapter 4, but let's pray first and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to join together. Thank you that we can be here this morning and sit without a mask on, but be present with each other in this room and hear from the living God. Father, we pray that you'd speak and we pray that we would have ears to hear, to listen, to understand. We pray, Lord, that right now you would help us to give you our attention. And that our response would be appropriate, would be the right response to take. And that as we walk out this morning, we'd be different because we've met with the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last month, 
there's been some big news that's come out around the world, news that has had all of us talking. And of course, I'm talking about what happened with Britney Spears. If you didn't catch it, her dad was removed as her conservator. Now, this is big news, and I know you saw it, but in case you didn't, let me explain that to you. So Britney Spears, I know, is a pop star from a little while ago now. Uh, and what happened was her dad was placed as her conservator. Now, a conservator in a very layman's term is, is pretty much someone who looks after them uh, because they can't, they're not fit to look after themselves. So her dad was in charge of what she said in public, what she did, her Instagram posts, all of her money at least as far as I understand it. And in the last couple of months, what happened was, or in the last month, her dad was removed as her conservator. The court ruled on it. Now, what is fascinating about this story is not the story in and of itself, but how this story came, to ba uh, came about. Because the, the reason it came about is because of Britney's fans. Now, her fans, you could argue, are the most loyal, insane fans in the world. And what happened in the last 13 years is they watched everything that she did so closely. Every Instagram post they watched, they re-watched, everything she ever said in public, even the comments she would make underneath her photos that she'd post online, they would watch it, they would re-watch it, they'd listen to tone, they'd analyze it. And then what happened? Eventually it made the mainstream, the public, and then in the last month when the court finally ruled on it, one of the very first things Britney said where she thanked her fans because without them, it wouldn't have happened. Now, I, I just think that's so crazy that they could do that. I think it's so interesting because when you think about fans, what's unique about being a fan is you can know everything there is about someone, and they, they did. You know, they made podcasts about it. There was YouTube channels dedicated to it. There was some documentaries on it, which we may or may not have watched, but, but there was everything out there about it. But fans can know, fans can know everything there is about someone. But there is a reality. Fans don't actually know them, right? Britney fans can know about her, but they don't actually know her because there's a difference between being a fan and, say, being a friend. There's a difference, and that difference is one person, one group knows about someone, the other actually knows them. Now, the reason we bring this up today is not so we can think about Britney, although you're welcome to go home and watch the documentaries about her, but the reason we bring that up today is because this is true with all sorts of people, and it's true with God. You see, it's, it's possible to know about God. It's possible you're here today and you've had a history of being to church and hearing about God. You might be able to retell us stories about God, but, but see, it's possible to know about God and not actually know God. It's possible to know everything there is about God, well, as much as we can, and not actually know Him. And so today, what we want to ask is this question, can we know God? Is it possible for us to know God? Can we know this God? And if we do know him, what's, what difference is it going to make for us? Well, it's here that we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is where we're going to explore this question today. Because in Deuteronomy 4, this is what it's all about. Now, let's set the scene again for us in Deuteronomy before we get to chapter 4. So if you missed it last week or you forgot it, basically what happened in the first four chapters of the Bible, God made the world he chose a people to love in the world. They rebelled, but God cared for them and did some amazing things. He brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then he carried them like a father carries his son through the wilderness. We sort of saw this last week. But remember last week we saw they rebelled, and that rebellion meant that instead of going to the promised land the first time, they went back into the wilderness. Forty years later, they're sitting now on the grass. Across the road is the promised land. 
Okay, that's where we find ourselves in ancient Israel. Israel is sitting on the grass facing the promised land and Moses, the pastor, gets up to speak a final sermon before his death. And here we find ourselves in chapter 4 and in chapter 4, Moses is going to speak about what it means to know God. But like last week, Moses so helpfully gives us another three-point sermon in chapter 4 that we're going to see is all about knowing God. And his first point here, as we pick it up in chapter 4, is if you want to know God, you have to hear God speak. We've got to hear God speak. So, so we see this from chapter 4, verse 1. This is where it starts. He says this, now, hear, now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give to you. So how do people know God? Well, it begins, hear God speak. Now you get a sense of that here in these opening verses here. He speaks about this idea of hearing God, and then he talks about God speaking. Now, there's, there's two ideas here we do have to grasp that's going to come up a lot in chapter 4. So the first one has got to do with this word, hear. Okay, now, I know it's not a complex word, but when we read it, it's not this idea of just hearing a sound. Okay, that's basically never what it means in a context of relationship. In a context of relationship, to hear someone is to connect with them, to understand them to give them your full attention and then to respond the right way. Okay, we, we all know that. We've been there in conversations where we've said to someone, you're not hearing me, right? You know this experience. We're not saying in that moment, you're not hearing sounds of my voice. We're saying you don't understand what I'm saying. So when Moses uses this word here in Deuteronomy 4, this is the idea here. He spe- he's speaking about listening, connecting, understanding, giving full attention and then responding the right way. So so that's important to grasp as we move forward in chapter 4. The next has got to do with laws or commands or decrees or rules or statutes. Now, what do you think of when you think of this, when you hear these words? Chances are you think of the Ten Commandments. That's often what people think of in the Old Testament. If you say law, you go Ten Commandments. You might even go first five books of the Bible. That was often called the Torah, the law. But, but what do we see? What, is it, what do we understand when we read laws and commands and statutes? Well, it is interesting, and, and, and we can see this and go on this journey in chapter 4. But notice here, he says, hear the laws, decrees, commands in chapter 4. And then before we move into chapter 4, you can see it there in these verses, but before we move all into chapter 4, he doesn't actually talk about these rules. It's not until chapter 5. And then you don't really see all the rules until chapter 12 and chapter 26 to, to, to 26. So laws and commands and statutes and decrees and rules, it's not just to-do list. It's not like things, just to do. In fact, later on, he's going to mention the Ten Commands, and in Hebrew, it's literally the Ten Words. So when we read laws, commands, statutes, decrees, any of that, think God's words in the context of God's relationship with his people. Right? That's what we need to think of in our minds. If you see laws, commands, statutes, decrees, think God's words... God's way of life in the context of his relationship with his people. Okay, that, that's what it means in Deuteronomy. And, and we see this. So it begins by saying, hear God speak. Now, why do we want to hear God speak? Well, this is where Moses goes. Verse 5, it's on the screen there. He says this. See, I have taught you decrees, laws. Right, there it is again. Decrees, laws. He's talking about God's words. As the Lord my God commanded you, me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations 
who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? So hear God speak. And why is it so important that they hear God speak? Well, you get a sense of it here in these words. It's because God has spoken. The living God has spoken. The God who made the universe has revealed himself through his words to his people. And it's a privilege that the creator would speak to created things. It's a privilege that the living God would talk to people and reveal himself and put his words down. Now, what is so interesting in this passage is he says, other nations are going to get this. Right? Did you notice that? So in in 6 and 7 there, he says, the other nations are going to look in on you and be like, what, you have a God who speaks to you? You have a God who's so near to you that when you pray, he hears you? So the other nations are going to get that this is a privilege. Now that feels a bit jarring, doesn't it? Like other people are going to look in and go, you got a God who speaks? That, that feels weird. Especially today, if you think about it, like we live in a post-Christian society in Australia where it feels like people don't even want to go to church, let alone look into church and go, you got God among you? you got God who speaks to you. But we got to remember that Deuteronomy was written in the ancient world, in a real time and place in history, where there were other nations, other ancient nations who had other gods. And what is fascinating about this is that in the ancient world, to have a God who would speak and be this close to people was unheard of. So this week I came across this from ancient Assyria. And it's a, a religion from ancient Assyria. And here's the prayer from another religion in ancient Assyria. And I want you to just have a look at this and see the, I don't know, just see the type of psyche from ancient religions. So it was called a prayer to any god. Okay, that's what the prayer was called. And this is what their prayer was. May my Lord's angry heart be reconciled. May the God I do not know be reconciled. May the goddess I do not know be reconciled. May the God, whoever he is, be reconciled. May the goddess, whoever she is, be reconciled. May the God who has turned away from me in anger be reconciled. May the goddess who has turned away from me in anger be reconciled. I do not know what I have done. I have unwittingly violated a taboo of my goddess. O my God, whoever you are, many are my wrongs. Great are my sins. O my goddess, whoever you are, many are my wrongs. Great are my sins. I do not know what I have done. I do not know what sin I have committed. Now as you see that prayer, I wonder what, like, what feelings that gives you, what thoughts you have. See, for me, it's what they know and what they don't know. So they, you could even say they know about God, right? So they know that there's God or gods out there. They know they've sinned against this God and made the God angry or goddess angry. They know that they've got to do something to fix the problem of what they've done. But they don't really know. They don't know who this God is. They don't know this God. They don't know what exactly they've done to upset this God. And they don't really know how to fix the problem. Now, as you see this prayer, all of a sudden you begin to understand why other nations might look into Israel and go, hang on, you've you've got a God who spoke to you? Who showed you this stuff? 
Right, I mean, can you imagine being an ancient Assyrian and this was your prayer day in, day out? And then you hear that Israel actually know their God and know what their God has said to them and know the way of life and what leads to death. And they even have a whole book in the Bible called Leviticus about how to fix the problem of sin. Can you imagine looking into that? What? You've got that? Here I am day in, day out, just praying, hoping that God might hear me and do something about this. It's a privilege, it's a gift that God has spoken to his people. And, and when other nations look in, they go, man, this is so good that you've got this. But Moses wants his people to grasp this. He wants Israel to see how important and what a privilege it is that God would speak to them. And this is what he goes on to say. So verse 9, he says, be careful, watch yourself closely so that you don't forget the things that you've seen. Okay, so just note that. He's talking about what you've seen. And then verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to you, assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw nor no form. There was only a voice. Now that's, it's interesting, isn't it? So he began by saying, you saw this, and then he finishes by saying, you saw no form. You heard only a voice. Now what's going on there? What's he saying there? Moses is saying, you want to see God? Listen to him. Hear him. Because God has revealed himself through what he said. God has spoken. The living God, the God above all other gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who made everything, he has spoken. And so you need to listen. You need to hear him. You need to give him your attention. And then you need to respond the right way. Because no other nations have this. There's no other nations that have a God who's this close to them, but Israel have this. And so, so you see when Moses begins here, you want to know God, listen to him, hear him speak, give him your full attention, and then respond in the right way. But see, as we keep going, that's Moses' first point. As we keep reading, though, we see that Moses doesn't just want them to hear God speak, he wants them to understand God's heart. And we get this as we keep reading. So we uh, get this from verse 15 to 20. Moses goes on. And he talks about, in 15 to 19, this idea of not going after other idols. Okay, so he says, you know, don't go after other idols. Don't go after the form of anything. Why is that? Well, verse 20, it's because the Lord, the God of the Bible, the living God, took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. So he says, don't go after other idols because God was the one that brought you out. But why is it so important here that they don't go after other idols? Well, well he sort of touches on it here where he says, you're his inheritance. You're his inheritance. And, and what is that? That's family language, isn't it? That's like children language. Your children are your inheritance. So God's saying here, not only is he like the living God that spoke, he's also the God that brought his people into his family. And Moses wants them to understand God's heart, that he has a heart for his people, that he loves his people. And we see this in, in two specific ways in this section. So we see it first in God's heart, in his jealousy, 
and then in his mercy, but here it's his jealousy. Right, so he goes on and explains why it's so important they don't go after other idols. So verse 21 to 22, Moses again reminds his people that he's not going into the land. So three times we've seen it now in four chapters, Moses says, I'm not going to the land. It's just another reminder, sin leads to death. And Moses is a little bit bitter about it. But then verse 23, he says this, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Why? This is it. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God's heart towards his people is a heart of love and he is jealous towards them. Now I know that jealousy feels like a bad thing. Most of the time it is a bad thing. But in the context of a relationship, jealousy is important. And there's a healthy amount of jealousy. Okay, so for a wife to say to a husband, don't go on other dates with other girls, that's a good amount of jealousy. And so for me and Elizabeth, I haven't been on any dates with other girls. And I like that, and I can only hope that she wants that for me as well. That's a healthy jealousy. Or a healthy jealousy is when a guy might say to his wife, don't be texting other guys just to catch up. Right? So for us, again, I don't want Elizabeth sending photos of Poppy and just saying, hey, how's your day? (laughs) I don't want that, right? Now, why is this healthy jealousy? Why is there a good amount of jealousy here? It's because in this moment, what you're saying is, I don't want you finding somewhere else what you're supposed to find here. That's the, that's the good stuff. That's the good jealousy. I don't want you finding anywhere else what you're supposed to find in this relationship. And this is what God says to his people. Don't go after other idols, other gods, because you're supposed to find your purpose, your life, your worth, your value, everything in God. Not someone else that can't deliver or something else that can't deliver. You're supposed to find that only in God. And when God sees that or thinks about that, he's jealous for his people. He wants them to serve only him. Do you see God's heart towards his people? He loves his people and he's jealous for his people and he wants his people to worship and serve only him. But then he goes on and we see God's heart is not just a heart of love that plays out in jealousy, but a heart of love that plays out in mercy. And as we keep reading, what we're about to see is something that is quite shockingly beautiful. So verse 25, we see this. Moses is looking to the future. And he says, you know, you're going to have children and grandchildren. You've lived there a long time. And this happens a lot in uh, Deuteronomy, that Moses foresees a time when his people will probably rebel again. He knows this people. And so the, the, the tone here is like if, but also when, right? If and when this happens, okay? And what does he say? Well, he says this. If you then become corrupt, in verse 25, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Now, if you take those verses out of context, that sounds harsh. 
death will come. But we know the context. God has shown himself. He's not the Assyrian gods that isn't making it clear on how to find life. He's spelling this out for his people. Saying, if you worship me and me only, you'll find life. But if you worship these other gods, you will die. And you will die because it is offensive to the living God to go after other, God, other gods. And, and really, he spells this out in verse 28 of why it's so offensive. He says, There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. To go after anything that isn't the Lord God, the living God, is to go after something that can't see or hear or smell or do anything. You're giving up on the God who sees and hears and saves for something that doesn't. Right? So, so God saw them. He heard their cries in Egypt. God carried them through the wilderness. He saw them. He cared for them. God will carry them. He will continue to carry them. The living God cares for his people. He loves his people. But, but for them to give up on God and to go after things that can't see, can't smell, can't deliver, it is so offensive to the living God. God is not a God to be messed with. Right? We already saw that. He's a consuming fire. This is not just your mate. He's the God of the universe who can do whatever he wants. He's the God of all power and might and authority. And so when they're doing this, they're basically telling God to get stuffed. Or even more harsh than that. And what should God do in this moment? That they go after things they can't see or hear or speak or smell. God should wipe them out. If it was us, we would. But what does God do? We see this in verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. And then this is the key verse here. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. God is saying here, even though they've gone after other gods, even if they do that, if they return to the mercy of God, if they fall at the feet of the living God, they will find a place to turn. Because God is a merciful God. God has compassion upon his people. He loves his people. And God's heart is he wants to show mercy to his people. God doesn't want his people to die. He wants his people to find mercy and life in him. This is his very heart because he loves his people. Now you can see how understanding God's heart helps people know God. Because God's heart is one that invites people into himself. A heart of jealousy saying, I want only you. And a heart of mercy that says, even if you've stuffed up, I'll still be your place to turn to. So how do they know God? Number one, they hear God speak. Number two, they understand God's heart. But Moses keeps going. And we see one final point here in his sermon. Number three, the third thing is learn the purposes of God. And this is what we see. So 32 to 34, we get what we heard read out for us before. It's a recap of all the things that he said and how awesome it is that God would do what he did. 
We see that in verse 34, and it's, it is a be- 32 to 34. It's beautiful of how great and awesome the deeds that God does are, but then 35, we get the purposes of this. What are God's purposes in all that he's done? Well, we see it there. You have shown these things so that, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. Now, that's, that's fatherly language, isn't it? From heaven you heard his voice to discipline you, and on earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the fire, because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive you out before nations greater and stronger than you, like Sihon and Og, as we saw last week, to bring you into their land, to give you it Uh, to give it to you as your inheritance as it is today. And then verse 39 is the key one here again. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. How do we know God will hear? He wants them to see God's purposes. And God's purposes here are, are really clear. It's that they would know that there is only one God. There's no other God. The God of the Bible is the only God. The only King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. There's no one else. The Assyrian gods look like nothing compared to this God. They don't see, they don't speak, they don't do anything. The Babylonian gods are the same. No other ancient God compares to the God of Israel or the God of the Bible. No other modern God does either. God of the Bible is the only God. There is no other. And God's purposes for his people is that they'd know this and enjoy this and see this privilege and see that if they listen to this God, they'll find life. The pursuit of God, uh, the pursuit of life is on the back of listening to this God. Right? That's what he said there. If you do this, you will find life. You will live in the land a very, very long time. But if you don't, you'll die. But do you see what God's heart is, God's purpose is? Life, not death. God doesn't delight in the death of his people, he wants them to live and he has shown them clearly how to live. So hear God speak, understand God's heart, learn God's purposes. Now as we get to the end of this, I want to ask this question, all right, what does this mean for us? What do we do with this as we sit in this room today? How do we understand and read Deuteronomy 4? Well, like last week, we saw that there's a few steps that we want to take because we want to We want to read the Bible in its biblical framework and context to make sure that we're reading it right. In the sense that we don't just want to go, okay, where's my promised land? What land am I going to conquer? That's not how we're supposed to read Deuteronomy 4. So how do we understand this? There's three steps that we take as we do this. And three steps that's helpful from any point in the Bible to do this. So number one, we ask the question, what does it mean for its original audience? For Israel. And I hope that much is clear this morning They really are to listen to God, to hear Him speak. They are to understand God's heart for His people. They are to learn the purposes of God. And if they do this, they will find life. That's what it means for them. Now, there is also an interesting aspect to this. And I don't know if you notice this as we're working through there. There's like a present tense of what Moses is saying there. You see this a number of times through. It's like this day or today or when you hear this, you know, in the former days or whatever. 
And, and you get this sense of the present tense nature of Deuteronomy 4. And the reason for that is because if any Israelite reads Deuteronomy 4 from the time that Moses gave it into the future, they are to still do this. Right? So for an Israelite 100 years later, if they realize that they're far from God, if they realize they're bowing down to idols, there is a sense that they're to turn back to God, to listen to Him again, to fall at His mercy, because they'll find it there, to learn His purposes, and they'll find life if they do that. Okay, so that's the original audience. That's what it means for an Israelite. Number two, the question we want to ask is, how does this point us to Jesus? Or how is this fulfilled in Jesus? Now, the reason we ask this question is because Jesus himself said the whole Bible is about him. So from any point in the Old Testament, we want to see how does this point us to Jesus? Now, it's beautiful here because if Deuteronomy 4 is about hearing God speak and understanding God's heart and learning his purposes, then when we see Jesus, we see all of that so much more clearly. Now, there is a point in the Bible that we get this pointed out to us. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where it says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Now, do you see what he's saying in that moment? He's saying in the past, God spoke to prophets like Moses. So you got God, and then he'd speak his words, reveal himself to prophets, and then they would speak to people. And to listen to God was to listen to the prophets who spoke the words of God. But now something's changed. And what's changed? God cut out the middleman. And Jesus entered into the world, the one who made the universe, he entered into the world. And now Hebrews 1 says, in the past God spoke through many ways, now he's spoken through his son. Now, do you see what this means? It means if we want to hear God speak, we've got to look to Jesus. If we want to know God, we have to look to Jesus because it's through Jesus we hear God speak. It's through Jesus we understand God's heart. For God loved the world, he sent his son. In Jesus, we see the love of God on display, that he's jealous for his people and that he wants to show his people mercy, withholding what they deserve. It's through Jesus we see God's heart, and it's through Jesus we learn the purposes of God. The purposes of God. He doesn't want people to die. He wants people to find life. This is Jesus' heart. He wants you to find life. He wants you to find life by trusting in Him, listening to Him, understanding Him, and responding to Him. In Jesus, we see the purposes that God wants to invite a people into Himself, the family of the living God. So Deuteronomy 4 speaks to us about these things, but Jesus shows us these things so much more clearly. And if now you want to hear God speak, now you want to understand God's heart, now you want to learn the purposes of God, look to Jesus. So step one, we ask original audience. Step two, we ask Jesus. And then step three, we go, okay, so what does it mean for us then in light of who I am in Jesus? Now here, if you think about it, if in Deuteronomy 4, their call is to listen to God. You want to know God, listen to God. If we're told in the New Testament that God has now spoken through Jesus, then what it means for us is quite simple. If we want to know God, if we want to find life, then we need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. This is what it means for us. Because if we listen to Jesus, we'll know God. If we listen to Jesus, we'll find life. Now, what does this look like? That's the big question. What does it mean for us to listen to Jesus? 
Well, there's one verse in Deuteronomy 4 that I think will help us as we move forward in thinking about this. And it was from verse 39 where he, he just had this line speaking about all the things that God has said, where he said this, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord your God is, he- uh, the Lord God is God in heaven above and on earth below. But the line I want to focus on is this, take it to heart. I think it's so helpful, this imagery of what it means to take to heart. Because he, he is saying, take it to heart what God has said. Now, what do you take to heart? Like if we think about it, today, what do you take to heart? You take to heart what you value. Right, So no one takes to heart something they don't care about. You don't. You get fired up over something you value, over something you treasure. So you could say that the words here, take it to heart, a similar wording is like treasure it in your heart. Value it. So for us, if we want to listen to Jesus, what do we have to do? We've got to take it to heart. We've got to treasure his words. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think here an image would help us. So you, you would know this image, but it happens often in our house where uh, Elizabeth and I finally put Poppy to sleep and then we'll be sitting on the couch, on separate couches, on our phones. And something will happen where one of us will decide to put our phones down and talk to the other person while they're still on their phone. It happens a lot in our house and it happened a few months ago. So Elizabeth, we were both on our phones and Elizabeth put her phone down and wanted to start talking to me. And so she was telling me all about this story that she had just watched on Instagram. But see, I was in the middle of a very important article. I was reading about how the Broncos, in their last three years, it wasn't a reflection on the powerhouse they're going to be. And so I needed to finish that article. So Elizabeth's talking, and I'm doing the uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, you know, you always respond like this at the end of it. Wow, that's crazy. And then I get to the end of the article, and then I look up. Now, Elizabeth happy or sad at that moment, right? She's not happy, and so explains to me what I've done. And I realize it, and I apologize for it, because although you want to defend it, you can't defend it. And so I apologize for not giving her my attention, for not listening to what she said, and then my response was the wrong one, so responding for the wrong way as well. Now, I have no shame this morning in telling this story because I know we've all been there. And we've all had that moment. We've all seen it in that moment. But, but what is it about it when someone's on their phone that just drives us crazy? What is it about that when we're trying to tell them and they're on their phone? What is it that really impacts our heart? I, I think it's this. I think in those moments, if someone's on their phone while we're talking to them, it's a value statement. It's saying, I value what I'm reading more than I value the person in front of me. And I treasure this article more than I treasure the person's words in front of me. That's that's why it drives us crazy when we see that. And I think we all know this morning that the best conversations we've had, the times that we've got to know people the most in our lives, were not when we had our phones up. It was when we put our phones away and gave people our full attention so we could listen and understand and connect with them and then respond in the right way. See, we know this is true for people. But what if this is true for God? What if this was true for us and God? What if he's inviting you to know him more? But all you'd have to do is put your phone down. 
What if God is putting you through a season right now which is an invitation to know him deeper? And to know him deeper, you've got to open up what he says and tune in to his heart and see, give him your full attention so that we could respond in the right way. What if right now God is inviting you to more, deeper intimacy? But to do that, we've got to treasure his words. We've got to take it to heart. We've got to see his word as the most important word of our life. And so what that might mean is we've got to put our phone down or avoid picking it up. It might mean we put other distractions down. It might mean we've got to put work down or put the, turn the TV off or put the controller down or whatever it looks like. But it might mean that we're actually tuning in to what God has said because if we can hear God speak, if we can see God's heart, if we can learn his purposes, as we do this, it's here that we're invited deeper and it's here that we grow deeper where we can know our God. So this morning, as we go into our weeks, as you go into your weeks, as you wake up tomorrow or the next day or whatever, each day, this question is the question I want you to ask as we pick up our phones, as we find our distractions, as we have a piece of space where the kids aren't running around or whatever it is, the distractions in our life, this is the question we need to ask this morning. What if God is inviting us to more? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, there is a sense that as we've opened up your word, we've gotten to know you. As we've heard you speak, as we've seen your heart, as we've seen your purposes for life and not death, and as we've seen how Deuteronomy 4, like the rest of the Old Testament, points us so beautifully to Jesus, it's here that we've gotten to know you more. Father, we pray that this invitation, that this reality would be something that carries us and that we would see that whatever season we're in right now, whatever the future holds for us, whatever the uncertainty of what happens next, we pray that we would see the reality that maybe right now is this invitation to know you more and that we would know how to do that. We do that by opening up your word and treasuring it in our hearts as the greatest voice and the most important thing that we can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.